All right, all right, everybody. Hope you're doing well. It is, it's me, says the guy who's not quite Sniper Wolf. But uh, good evening. Um, this is uh, coronavirus, and uh, sorry, I made a slight uh, a scheduling error. Um, Paul's going to join us. Um, I guess a little bit under an hour. So I wanted to find out how you guys are doing and uh, tell you the stuff that's been going on up here with regards to coronavirus, uh, give you some of the latest and greatest of the uh, news, I guess, regarding this uh, this pestilence, this end times revelation scourge uh, across the world. So let's, uh, I guess, start off by seeing uh, what's going on uh, with you guys and what your thoughts are about all of this. Let's get a little wee zoom in here. Hello. Hello, hello. Yell meaner? Yell meaner? <laughs> Yell in the, okay, forget it. I'll need, I don't, I can't do it with my distance glasses. I just can't do it. Good day from Socialist Lockdown Melbourne. Oh my gosh. You guys have gotten, whew, reamed. I mean, some crazy stuff is going on on the other side of the world, otherwise known as the upside down. Um, Melbourne, you guys are locked down from like 8 p.m to 5 a.m. You can't leave your home. You've got checkpoints on the road where people, the cops are stopping and asking people for ID to make sure that they're allowed out of their pods during this uh, during this time. It just happened uh, that uh, a good comrade, Jacinda Arden from New Zealand, has now locked down parts of the country because there have been four, count them four, new cases in uh, New Zealand, uh, all from the same family. So from there, uh, you lock down. I think they've had a grand total of 32 deaths. And I wanted to point out something. It's kind of important because there are a lot of people who are trying these country-to-country comparisons, which is tempting, of course, uh, and yet not particularly helpful. You know, there's a couple of points that matter with regards to something like this. So if you're going to start comparing country to country, you need to push back against that because there's a number of reasons why that simply doesn't make uh, any particular sense. So one reason is, uh, I don't know, it's the country and island. You know, that has quite a lot to do with controlling your borders and being able to figure out who's coming in and out of the country. So is your country an island? Uh, that seems quite important. Number two, has your country had exposure to these kinds of viruses before. I mean, if you're a country that had to deal with SARS, so back in 2002, 2003, SARS spread to 28 or 29 countries, but it was contained after 8,000 deaths or something like that. But it was a little different, obviously, from coronavirus, because SARS back in the day, you got SARS, I mean, you just face planted into a pillow and coughed half your lung up, whereas it didn't sort of hang around like this, you know, 10 to 14 day gestation period, so to speak, until the <laughs> until the alien hand creature crawls out of your chest and eats somebody's face off. So uh, if you've had experience with that, like when I was in Hong Kong to shoot to my documentary last September, of course, people in Hong Kong were using masks a lot, partly to foil face recognition, partly as a history of SARS. I think 800 people died in Hong Kong from SARS. And so if you've had a history of this kind of stuff as a country, you know, I, I assume that um, uh, Thailand <laughs> or Taiwan uh, and um, uh, Hong Kong and other places, well, 
they've had a history, so they have a mask culture. Some of them, a lot of East Asian countries do, of course, have this kind of mask culture, so that matters a lot. Demographics matter. I mean, there are certain areas, lots of places really where blacks, for instance, are four times more likely to have issues with coronavirus than other demographics. So you have to look at the demographics of a country. A uh, significant black population is going to drive those numbers up. And so it is kind of frustrating to be when it's like an apples to oranges kind of thing when people try and figure out, well, this country is doing better than this country is doing worse. And they, they try to ascribe it all to some magical government policy. That is not valid. That is not a rational approach. There are many, many other factors that are going to impact how these kinds of countries do. And here's the thing too, you know, when I was first doing these, uh, I started doing these uh, coronavirus things in January and called it a pandemic, I think on my second show. And, you know, having detailed as I did, the kinds of things that the Chinese government were doing to contain coronavirus, it was really something. I mean, they're welding people into their buildings and, and sealing people off and so on. So it's one of the unfortunate aspects of like a really free society would handle this really well. A totalitarian society can handle this brutal, brutally, but well. Whereas these kind of mixed economy stuff, uh, it's really tough to make calm and firm decisions. And of course, it is really unfortunate, fortunate, unfortunate, who knows. But it is really unfortunate, of course, that coronavirus happened to hit during an election season in America when the mainstream media, of course, is trying its very best to unseat President Trump and uh, to get... Um, Biden in, and that is uh, a very, very big deal. So let's uh, let's just check in with you guys and um, see how you're doing. New Zealand's gone back in lockdown. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's full on down in Melbourne. Yeah, Melbourne, sorry. Hello from Vegas. Hello from Rhode Island. Everyone knows the virus only spreads at night. <laughs> the freaks come out at night and not in Black Lives Matter rallies. Well, of course, right? Did you see Fauci? Did you see Fauci when he was being questioned. What was it, Trey Gout? I can't remember. Somebody was questioning him saying, oh, well, you know, if we shouldn't be in gatherings without masks, then surely we should we should stop these protests or should we depose these protests? In fact, she wouldn't answer, of course, because you, it's nothing you can't make political these days, right? So here, Anthony says, we have army reserve with the police on streets checking people for work permits. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Positive action says, best wishes to you and your family. I am appalled by your treatment on YouTube. Well, you know, you help them grow, 300 million views, uh, you help them grow, and uh, it doesn't seem like they're returning the favor quite as, as nicely as they should do. My prayers have been answered, and now I have to telework. Yeah, yeah. Let's see here. You can measure deaths by COVID. You can't measure deaths caused by the lockdown, depression, stress, loss of income, less services. Well, uh, as you probably have uh, seen, you, um, uh, domestic violence is up in double. There's been doubled under coronavirus uh, and all of that, right? My brother over here in Saudi Arabia, this guy says, says it's really grim and the government is covering up. Surprise, surprise. 321 deaths and 12,830 new contagions just today in Colombia. Yeah, that's, uh, oh, number one, uh, of course, is, um, U.S., number two is Brazil, and uh, yeah, well, here's the thing, too, like you're looking at South Africa or the rest of the continent of Africa, you're looking at India, and of course, you have a more youthful population in a lot of these places, plus, of course, you have uncertain testing, uh, unstable um, or not inconsistent kind of healthcare uh, systems and so on, so it's pretty rough, right? 
your thoughts on <laughs> your thoughts on Biden's VP pick? Well, I'm not really doing politics, but uh, you know, it's a straight up power grab. And of course, you know, Kamala Harris called him a straight up racist uh, during the debates, and Kamala Harris said that she believed the Me Too women who claimed that they had been uh, uh, inappropriately treated by Joe Biden. But I guess a uh, um, a uh, crotch grabby racist. Uh, hey, but if he's the path to power, I guess you're going to take it, right? Let's see here. Oh, Jim Jordan. Yeah, it was Jim Jordan who was questioning Fauci, right? Um, well, you know, the elections have been postponed in Hong Kong. People aren't really bothered about that. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, of course, it's completely obvious what's going on that if they can, uh, if the left can keep people panicked about coronavirus, then they can usher in the um, mail by mail by voting, vo- voting by mail, sorry. And uh, they, then they can just cheat and right, get the election that way right so it's uh it's nothing to do with science uh, it's nothing to do with anything like that but uh the you know the thing too is um sorry let's just see here did you hear about what was going on in south africa well i did see something today on parlay also known as parlor for those who are not uh, frenchified last names and so on that somebody was saying that it's going to be pretty impossible to start to post on social media without prior approval and that the conversation is pretty much done. The lockdown routine would continue for years with Sleepy Joe in office. Well, the lockdown's just going to get weaponized, for sure. For sure. The Marxist media forgets to mention that delaying the election is no big deal since the inauguration, inauguration remains on the same day. Dishonest people. Yes, the Russian vaccine. Have you guys heard about this? Uh, let me get you the details on it, and um, we'll we'll talk about that. The Russia vaccine is very very interesting, right? So, gosh, where am I going to get where am I going to get objective information about Russia? Because remember, the media in America and the West as a whole only loved Russia when it was communist. Now that it's anti-communist and Christian and nationalistic, it is apparently the great evil of the universe. But um, so, Russian President Vladimir Putin has uh, announced the approval of a coronavirus vaccine for use uh, just today. It's a world first. And um, now, of course, you know everybody's desperate for this vaccine, but because it's coming out of Russia, oh, that's terrible. You're going to be very, very careful, very cautious. You know, very, you know they're not putting out all the information about uh, safety and effectiveness. And, come on. I mean, Russia has always been secretive about its scientific advancements. I mean, wasn't Yuri Gagarin? Uh, orbiting the Earth for five days before they even admitted they'd sent a spaceship up there. So, yeah, I mean, this is this is kind of natural, right? So Putin on state TV said a vaccine against coronavirus has been registered for the first time in the world this morning. I know that it works quite effectively. It forms a stable immunity. One of his daughters has already taken it. He said she had a slightly higher temperature after each dose, but now she feels well. He's got two daughters, I think. And so um, I don't know which daughter got it. I don't think they've said but uh, it's been developed by the Moscow-based Gamalaya Institute. It's been nicknamed Sputnik the Fifth, or Sputnik V, I guess, like, you know, Malcolm the Tenth. A reference to the surprise 57 launch of the world's first satellite by the Soviet Union. It has yet to go through crucial phase three trials. We've been administered to thousands of people. And um, do you know what's funny? It's, <laughs> I'm just laugh. I mean, the, the world has just become so mad, 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 mad lately. But... Um, now you see the big problem is vaccine nationalism. The vaccine nationalism is a very, very big problem uh, at the moment, uh, which is, you know, like, you know, trying to get your pride. You know, it's like, 
so competition between nations, apparently it's really, really bad now. Just can't have competition between nations. Because, I mean, losers hate competition. What can I tell you, right? So let's see here. The claim of victory by Putin in the global rush to make an effective vaccine against COVID-19 comes amid suggestions that Russia has cut essential corners in its development. <laughs> well, of course they have. The average vaccine takes 10 years to go through soup to nuts, right? And so the fact that, because they're all saying, oh, well, you know, we want one by the fall. We want one by the end of the year. And it's like, okay, so they're ahead by a couple of months. But suddenly it's cutting corners, you see. So they can take it from 10 years down to 10 months. But uh, if Russia gets it down to eight months, well, that's just, <laughs> it's just cutting corners, you see. They're, they're just, it's irresponsible. You can have a 12-fold increase, a 12-fold decrease, and apparently it's perfectly safe. But if Russia has a 13-fold decrease in the average 10-year span of getting a vaccine out, well, <laughs> see, 12 times less, totally fine. 13 times less, totally, totally dangerous. Because, of course, the great fear is that a vaccine comes out, it's effective, it's safe, you can uh, administer it, um, and uh, then, gosh, heaven forbid, uh, that comes out, then the stock market's going to bounce back even more. And business is going to pick up and uh, futures are going to pick up. And, um, well, maybe the gold price will not pick up quite as much. But uh, they don't want that as a whole because they want things to go very badly so they can do all of the aforementioned stuff. Plus say, well, Trump, it's Trump's fault. It's Trump's fault that 150 plus thousand Americans have died. Well, of course, first of all, a lot of those Americans would have died anyway because they were kind of at death's door and, you know, one little breeze and so on. And, oh, gosh, what was there? A little boy, a little black boy in um, America who was a very young person who died of coronavirus, they said. But it turns out that he died because he had a seizure while in a bathtub and drowned. I don't know why he would be in a bathtub with a fever, I suppose, because sometimes kids do get seizures, I think, if they have fevers. Uh, remember, I'm no doctor. I'm just telling you this kind of stuff from, from what I've read and what I remember. I don't know why a boy who's going through this kind of illness, of severe illness at that, at that time, is unattended in a bath or is unattended to the point where he can drown in a bath because he had a seizure. But uh, is that a coronavirus death? I don't think so. A seizure wouldn't necessarily cause the death, but the drowning does. But the drowning is not being killed by COVID. So anyway, it's all kind of strange as far as all of this goes. So yes, of course, the media doesn't want... Can you imagine... <laughs> Well, I guess we may not have to imagine if this thing turns out to be relatively safe. But can you picture that a communist country infects the world, but an anti-communist, Christian, nationalistic, and I guess pretty white country kind of saves the world if this vaccine turns out to be safe and effective? And again, I don't have any opinions about it. I don't know. I'm not an expert. But uh, they took a pretty interesting approach, just so you know. And uh, again, I'm sure Paul, if he knows more about it, will, will let us know about this. But what they did was they took coronaviruses that are pretty safe for human beings and adapted them to block uh, COVID. So that's pretty, pretty interesting. So what else? This is, I was going to say Kim Cattrall, but I don't think that's right. This is Kirill Dmitriev, head of the Russian Direct, Direct Investment Fund, which is funding the vaccine research, said interest from other countries for over a billion doses of the vaccine had been received. He said, we have seen considerable interest in the Russian vaccine developed by the Gamalaya Institute abroad. Uh, moreover, we have received preliminary applications for over 1 billion doses of the vaccine from 20 countries. 
Along with our foreign partners, we've already prepared to manufacture over 500 million doses of vaccine per year in five countries, and the plan is to ramp up production capacity even higher. So far, countries in Latin America, the Middle East, and Asia have displayed the greatest interest in the vaccine. We are about to finalize a number of contracts for the purchase of the vaccine. He said phase three trials of the vaccine would start Wednesday in Russia and that they would also take place in other countries. He said, we've already reached agreement uh, on conducting the relevant trials of the Gamalaya vaccine abroad with partners from the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, and a number of other countries. So Russia enacted a law in April, which eliminated the requirement for crucial phase three trials to be conducted before approval. This has slowed researchers to fast. This has allowed researchers to fast track the vaccine development process. Experts have voiced unease over Moscow's rapid approval process for the vaccine. Yeah. Okay, sure. And, and you know, I'm sure there's good reason to be cautious. Uh, and, and But, you know, let's, let's not just confine that to Russia, right? Let's just confine that to everyone who's uh, taken this uh, more than 10 times faster than, than normal, right? The numbers, of course, yeah, infected more than 20 million people, killing more than 730,000 around the world. And there are 25 other vaccines in the clinical evaluation stage and a further 139 candidate vaccines in the preclinical evaluation stage, according to the World Health Organization. In June, the Chinese government approved the use of an experimental coronavirus vaccine for the country's military. Now, did you hear everybody saying, oh, it's dangerous. Oh, it could be. Oh, they're not sharing the roof. No, but Russia does it. And it's like, oh, man, just terrible. Just Terrible, terrible stuff, apparently. The worst thing in the world. I just too wild that the ex or well, really anti-communist country is the one who's uh, maybe uh, maybe developing this thing. So let's see what else you guys have to say. What questions? Yeah, I would never have imagined a time where I trust Putin more than the American media. What a time. What a time. Ain't that the truth, eh? Ain't that the truth. Uh, hey, Steph, so glad to see that you're still going. I am the Energizer Bunny of philosophy. Do you record these DLive video streams and upload them somewhere? Yeah, you can. So you can go to freedomain.com forward slash connect and you can get a hold of, you know, all my works. A couple of places. So, of course, I'm on Parler. Uh, I'm, gosh, let me go through here. I'm on Minds. I'm on Parler. Uh, you can uh, uh, find me on freedomain.locals.com. I have actually, I'm on Twitch dot app <laughs> what else i am pocketnet dot app uh, i am I, I basically got my fingers in a whole variety of pies uh, out there so there's still tons of places to follow if you go to fdrpodcasts.com fdrpodcasts.com you can follow the podcast which are of course always going to be available mm. and you know what here's a little thing just a little little thing just between us girls so in the you know, post-apocalyptic creator of my career stage of having been yeeted from vast portions of the internet, I have uh, kind of returned to something that got me started. You know, I was never going to be a philosopher uh, as far as that went. I was never going to be a um, political analyst or, or, you know, any of these kinds of things. Um, I actually, I started off in the art world. I started off poetry. I've written like 30 plays. I've written like eight novels. Um, and... Um, so I've returned to one of my favorite books that I've ever written. It's called Almost. It's a really great novel. It's a uh, the story of two families, one English and one German, between World War I and World War II. Uh, so a huge amount of European history, some actual 
family history um, as well. And it's a really, really great book. I started reading it as an audio book. And I guess you can hear all of my compressed Shakespearean acting training because I went to the National Theatre School for a couple of years. I went to, uh, and, and I started reading this as an audio book, and you can get it at fdrurl.com forward slash almost, fdrurl.com forward slash almost. <laughs> I realized, of course, almost a novel. It's almost a novel. Actually, no, it's a very long novel. It's uh, Lord of the Rings length, but again, I'm very pleased with it. I think you will like it. It's free. So fdrurl.com forward slash almost. You can check that out, and I hope that you will. Uh, it was a labor of love for me. It took a long time to write, and uh, I'm very, very pleased with it. So let's let's get back to you, shall we? Uh, what else have we got? Russia Today, yeah, they actually reported on me fairly reasonably. So it's very strange, of course, for me, because I grew up with a great fear of Soviet Russia. But post-Soviet Russia, uh, you know, there's some pluses. And here's the funny thing, too. Like, I've always had a very complicated relationship with Russia as a whole, because I started reading the Russian writers, the big Russian writers, when I was a teenager. And loved them. I love Russian literature. Like, I wish I could speak it because to read Dostoevsky or Turgenev or Tolstoy in the original would be something else. But um, I, uh, I just loved it. My very first novel was set in Russia. I wanted to talk about the Russian Revolution, but a generation before to figure out, you know, what kind of ideas led up to it, which is something, of course, Dostoevsky did as well. Uh, he did The Devils, which is uh, sort of guy Nakayev was a very... Uh, bit of a lunatic revolutionary and i wrote a novel called revolutions about a man who wanted to change the world through violence but who ended up changing his life through family not entirely outside my character arc the former part of which you know very little but uh so yeah it's funny like i, I my first novel i ever wrote was set in russia and um the first novel sorry the first play that was fairly successful that I wrote was called Seduction, and it was an adaptation of Turgenev's Fathers and Sons, which I produced in Toronto and directed uh, way back in the day. And so it's kind of funny to me that Russia remains kind of intertwined in my life, though I've never actually been. So what else have we got going on for you guys? In Russia, Corona fears getting caught by people. Yeah, those jokes are a bit old. Let's see. What else do we have? Trump is, Trump is colluding with Russia to come up with the vaccine. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Oh, no, gold dropped today. Hashtag buy more. Go Bitcoin, baby. Go Bitcoin. Well, it's not even so much that gold and Bitcoin are gaining in value. It's just that the dollar is crashing in value, right? Yeah, Putin saving the world from a deadly vaccine really goes against... Sorry, what you mean to say is Putin saving the world from a deadly virus really goes against the democratic Russia is bad and hacked our election talking point. Yeah, they really, man, I guess what Putin said about the revolution, man, they really do just go nuts on this, right? Okay. What else we got here? Yes, there are, my videos are uploaded to OnlyFans. Isn't that where you can share nude pictures? <laughs> I do not think so. Do you know that Canada is run by beavers? Oh, is this the female voting thing? <laughs> Let's see here. Putin wouldn't save the whole world. Please play God and let your enemies die if COVID was real. Beavis built walls, so I doubt that. Oh, that's pretty funny. How do I become a fan? Uh, you know, just like, subscribe, and share, I suppose, right? Uh, let's see here. 
So yeah, you can go to BitChute. You can find me there. LBRY, you can find me there. Brighteon.com, you can find me there. Lots and lots of places and uh, all of that. So what do you think? More BitChute content, please. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, I mean, I upload everything to BitChute, so. Uh, I'm also doing, <laughs> I, had, I had a bit, I had an hour where I played with some friends on um, Skyrim, which was actually quite a fun, quite a bit of fun. Good evening, staff. Good evening, D. Grizzle. I hope you're doing well. Solzhenitsyn, yeah, of course. Solzhenitsyn, uh, very, yeah, so I, I must have been 14 or 15 when I first read A Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich, and uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I'm on all those platforms, and I follow you. I've ripped all your YouTube channels. I was hoping to create a torrent out of them, 2.2 terabytes. Well, keep me, keep me posted. Operations at freedomain.com for sure. Let's see here. Uh, yes, the videos are saved. Uh, so, sorry, Steph. I have not made it a point to try and seek out your content since they depersoned you. Man, it works. So messed up. You know, I got to tell you, you know, I appreciate you guys. You guys are in here. We're having the chat. But I got to tell you, it's it's a little bit of a wake-up call for me, right? Now, I know that my video views were, you know, they had been down since I gave a speech at the European Union about tech censorship, uh, focusing on YouTube. Because, you know, I'm always know, I always know how to play the game of politics and relationships, the exact opposite of how a sophist and a uh, non-truth teller would, would play it. But I know, so I, I was stuck at about 930,000 subs on YouTube for ever. I mean, what, a year and a half, something like that, right, before they yeeted me. But it's really interesting to see to me, okay, so how many of those people care enough about what it is that I do to go over to, say, BitChute or Library or Brighteon or, you know, the other places where I uploading and, and sharing my videos. And it's, you know, not quite the same stellar quality that it was under YouTube, which had lovely, you know, uh, um, super high def, 60 frames a second, deliciousness and all that. But nonetheless, you know, you still get the audio, you still get the video. The ideas, you know, should matter more than the fluidity of the video. But it is really interesting and actually quite instructive to see the number of people who are willing to transition off, say, YouTube and onto something like BitChute. It's not terrible. It's not bad or anything like that. But it's not, I mean, it's certainly not anywhere close to where I was on YouTube or, you know, the people who are like 450,000 plus people on Twitter. And, you know, again, going over to Parler and, and Mines and Gab and other places. Yeah, there's still, there's still people moving over. But it's not, obviously not 100%. It's not even 50%. I can't remember. I did the calc on a back of a napkin the other day. But it is interesting, right? Because, you know, I really put myself out there took a lot of risks to get really, really powerful, important, deep, essential truths across the world, you know, paid a pretty heavy price as, as far as all that went. And if it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I could follow that guy, but it's, you know, it takes 30 to 45 seconds to create a BitChute account. So hey, I guess I won't. And it's like, mm, okay, well, that's good information for me to have, right? Now, personally, I'm sure that you guys have all you know, created your accounts and follow me and all that kind of stuff. But it is really interesting because what you do is you say to yourself, okay, so why am I taking all these risks if people can't even be bothered to transfer to some new platform to follow what it is that I do? In other words, if the barrier to following 
one of the world's most prominent contemporary philosophers, if the barrier to doing that is, oh, yeah, but, you know, it's a bit of a hassle to create a new account. I shouldn't laugh, but it's like, okay, well, if that's if that's the barrier, it's like, that's kind of good for me to know in terms of the risks that I'm willing to take because um, if that's if that's a bridge too far, you know, for you, then, okay, that's kind of important to me, right? Just so you guys know, Steph made me the thinker I am today. I hope that that's a good thing. I hope that that's a good thing. Let's see here. He really helped me mature and got me interested in researching the purpose and function of government. Government, I will be forever grateful. Excellent. Uh, you're the best person that speaks truth to power. It's a shame that people have been using 1984 as a guide. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. It was supposed to be a warning, not an instruction manual, as the old joke goes. Let's see here. Uh, what else have we got going on here? Let's see. MGTOW is a result of the hardcore Marxist feminists. Well, so I get MGTOW. I, I really do. And I, I certainly I've known people who've been really shafted through divorce proceedings uh, and like really shafted, like terrified of jail shafted um, with false allegations and all. And so I really, really get that. I, I mean, I'm not going to say, oh, you know, there's nothing to be afraid of. Of course, there is stuff to be afraid of. And I don't, I don't like to think that I found the only, you know, rational, honorable, decent, noble, loyal woman in the universe. I'm sure there's more. Uh, so but it, it doesn't accord with my own experience. It does accord with my experience of dating to some degree uh, in terms of, you know, really trying to find a quality woman, but you keep dating till you find a quality woman and then you latch onto her like a, a lamprey, I suppose, or a um, an otter on a bald eagle's eggs or something like that. Fat kid on a smarty, white on rice, whatever you want to, you latch on and you you try and make that person's life as wonderful as possible so that you're not replaceable and, and all that, right? And you just make that commitment. You take, you take your vows very, very, Seriously, but MGTOW, to some degree, simply comes out of the fact that because there's a welfare state, if women run upon hard times, either as single mothers or something else, they can simply run to the government to get resources. And what that means is that they're not as nervous about being without resources because it's that lack of resources that a lot of times is kind of drives the pair bonding thing, right? And you know, throughout most of Western history, most of human history, twice as many women reproduced as men. And so when you have men being forced to give resources to women, resources are the equivalent to women of sex to men, right? And again, it's not like women don't like sex. Of course they do. And it's not that men don't like resources that they do. But in terms of foundational drivers, if you want to think of resources to women, just think of sex, for men, and because women can run to the government to get resources, that's the equivalent of the government running a um, prostitution agency for men, right? I mean, if, if a man could just snap his fingers and have the government supply him with a sexual partner anytime he wanted, there wouldn't be a whole lot of settling down now, would there be, right? And if women can snap their voting cards and get resources from men against their will, well, uh, there's not a whole lot of settling down. So because women don't fear running out of resources they don't need to pair bond with a productive and stable man and so what do they do well they go for the you know david beckham looking stubble guy who's wearing leather pants who's uh, got a job as a house painter uh, but does a lot of uh, working out on the weekends drives a harley and uh you know artfully skirts uh, stubble around his chin and all of that and you know that gets women's juices flowing that's why i keep my stubble on eh and uh so women are constantly chasing after the top 
couple of percent of men are not settling down. And then when it fails for most of them as it will, then they simply run to the government and get resources from the government. And by resources, I don't just mean the money or the welfare state or old age pensions, which are disproportionately beneficial to women, but you know, things like healthcare and subsidized housing and blah, 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 blah. Right. And so why are there incels? Because there's a welfare state. So women can chase men. Most men get left out in the cold. We know this, right? Statistically, uh, women rate 80% of men as below a- average attractiveness, right? So they, men are realistic, women are, you know, idealistic women when it comes to male physical attractiveness. And so the reason they're incels is because of the welfare state to a large degree. Women can then just chase the most attractive guys, don't have to pair up on, don't have to settle down, don't have to settle, right? Settling down is settling, right? It's saying, okay, this is the best I can do for the rest of my life. And I'm giving up claims to pursue anyone else because monogamy till death do us part and so on. And so, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of rough. Now, on, on the flip side, though, the men sleeping around with women and not committing to the women and using women for sexuality creates feminism, right? Because the feminists are like, men just, men are, sex, men are pigs, uh, men, men use women for sex, men are unreliable, men are trash. You know, this uh, Tommy, or Tommy, people said it was pronounced Tommy Lauren, this Tommy Lauren stuff that I talked about sort of recently. So if you want to create MGTOWs, have a welfare state. If you want to create feminists, use women for sex and dump them. And next thing you know, uh, they will all believe that men are pigs and just use women for sex. And there's a patriarchy and blah, 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 blah. Because that kind of is a patriarchy, right? It's beauty privilege for men, right? It's a beauty privilege for men. There is a patriarchy because, you know, 80% of women are chasing 10 to 20% of the men. And so the men have this power, the men have their pick, the women get used. And of course, every woman thinks that she's got the magical V power to snare the alpha. And uh, when she finds out that she doesn't, it's uh, hard on the ego and then you get feminism, right? All right. What do we got here? What do we got here? Happy to see you streaming live, Steph. Yes, because streaming dead would be kind kind of dull, right? Kind of dull. Are you ever going to grow a based mustache, Steph? I think you'd look like a total stud. I don't think I'm a mustache guy. I really don't think I'm a... And, you know, if, if I couldn't get that full-on florid, sneezing, Arkansas ditch caterpillar Nietzsche mustache, I don't think it's really, really worth it. Steph, do you get support from the Mises Institute, Tom Woods, etc.? It hasn't... I haven't heard them bring you up. I, I haven't checked. I don't think so, but I haven't really checked. Steph, I still owe you like 1500 bucks on the first 4,000 podcasts I ear-chugged. You could tickle it out of me. <laughs> okay. That's a hard maybe. <laughs> a very hard maybe. Uh, but you is spreading like wildfire. The reign of YouTube is crumbling. Oh. Do you feel more independent now versus before? Uh, that's a good question. It's a very good question. I'm going to have to rain check the fifth on that one. I'll have to think about that some more. I'll have to think about that before. Have you ever considered LASIK? I don't think that word works with just sort of aging vision kind of thing. So, I mean, I don't have any issues with my eyes other than I'm just getting older. Do you prefer library or bit shoot? Um, I think they're both uh, very strong platforms and uh, have a, uh, a lot of uh, potential. What do you think about music as a career option? Too frivolous a business or too much music industry? What was it? Alanis Morissette was just saying that uh, the Me Too movement 
still has to hit the music industry. Uh, I think Keisha, <laughs> key dollar sign ha, Keisha was, uh, I think, as, as launched proceedings against someone, she's accused of misconduct, significant misconduct, but uh, it's, a, it's a brutal industry. It's a brutal industry. I still remember, what was it? Uh, oh, gosh, Don Henley, who himself had some pretty significant issues uh, with, uh, I think, an underage dead hooker being found dead at one of his parties, if I remember rightly. He got slagged by the media. He hit back with dirty laundry and so on. But yeah, he was saying that uh, in, a, in a dispute with one of his managers, uh, he dragged Don Henley's wife, who was very ill, down for depositions and stuff. Oh, it's a brutal industry. It's a brutal industry. And um, and it's an industry, you know, as a band, how do you get noticed? Well, a lot of times you tour and, and all of that, and that seems to be down the, down the tubes at the moment. So we shall see, we shall see, we shall see. All right. How has your engagement transferred to the other social medias? Um, well, yeah, there's certainly been a spike. There's been a bump and so on. Uh, and uh, I will continue to work to get those uh, numbers up. But, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, I would like it to be higher. Um, I would like it to be higher uh, than, than it was before and all that, right? Uh, somebody says, my brother cut me out for listening to you. It's rough out there. Man, I'm sorry about that. I mean, I'm not I'm not sorry that I said what I said, whatever it is that I said. But, um you know, it's uh, it's funny, you know, because I, I was considered to be, I don't know, some some hysterics portrayed me many years ago as a family record because it's rec- record because I said you don't have to be in abusive relationships and so on. But um, now Black Lives Matter, they want to abolish the family <laughs> completely as far as I can tell. So apparently that's fine. Though. All right. What else have we got here? There is an enormous apathy of the world right now. Well, people know where things are heading. Everybody's just uh, battening down the hatches and gearing up for whatever what's coming, right? Wait, what does Big Tao stand for? Men go in their own way. Uh, it is the idea that you should never put yourself under the legal power of a woman through the state. So, you know, you can date, you can, you, you don't live together with a woman to the point where she can gain palimony power over you, don't marry because blah, 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 right? So let's see here. Uh, oh, I just missed something here. Love the Steph bot. Well, thank you. I grew a mustache and quit veganism and had a daughter. I'm not sure that's where babies come from, but any thoughts on the Floyd body cams? Yeah, well, I mean, it simply affirms everything that I talked about many months ago. And um, it would be nice, of course, if people gave me a little bit of credit. It's maybe asking too much from the world as it stands or maybe ever. But it would be nice because a lot of people jumped on the, oh, it's straight up murder and they choked that young man or they choked that that George Floyd and all that and and he died from the neck compression and all that. And I was pushing back hard against that from the very beginning. And I think that's another reason. Firstly, I think it's another reason why I got deplatformed and all that. So, um, yeah, I was uh, I was right. Uh, I've, I've watched the body cam footage and um, there's there's nothing in them that contradicts the stuff that I was talking about months ago. So, uh, somebody says, I love your refreshingly realistic perspective, Steph. So many of the perversions in modern society are due to life having become too easy. Well, that's a funny thing to hear, right? So that's a funny thing with regards to COVID, right? Because what we have now is we have something that you can't wish away with the wallpaper fire hose of fiat currency, right? You, you can't just wish this away. You know, if there's been a problem in the past, it's like, ah, oh, just print money. You know, war's not going that well, just print money. You know, people getting wounded, just print money. 
just create money, just crush down interest rates and drop the helicopter hay bales of money over the population, well, over the rich population, and then it trickles out to the poor by the time it becomes inflationary and devalued. But here we have something that no government edict can fundamentally alter. I mean, yeah, you crush the curve or whatever it is. It turns out to be crush your liberties. But there is, there's no magic wand here. Like we've we've come up against something that sophistry and willpower and bullshit and money printing can't solve. Can't just make it go away. Can't just make it go away. And coming up against the limits of political power is really, I think it's kind of a deep shock because for so long, like literally since the 1960s, well, really since the 1950s, but especially since the 1960s, you know, I mean, 1960 to now, that's like 60 years, right? And so for, you know, two plus generations, whenever we have a pain point, we just print money. And we fundamentally become... Mrs. Havershan from Dickens, right? We fundamentally become hypochondriacs. We've, but in, in in a weird kind of way, because anytime we've had a pain point, we just print money. We just borrow money. We just run up the debt. We just sell bonds, and and that allows us to eliminate all the pain points. But now we've got something. We're printing money. I mean, wallpaper's over a little bit, right? But printing money. Um, not making it go away i mean they've gone completely nuts when it comes to money printing at the moment i mean lord above and a half it is really 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 mental what has been going on with um with the money printing i mean what are they five trillion dollars plus just over the last couple of months i mean they've they're going to add no i think i think by the end of the year they're going to add you know five or six trillion dollars in debt at the end of the calendar year right in america and now that's that that was the entire national debt in 2001 you know 1776 to 2001 and they're adding that in one year now that's going to cover up a whole bunch of stuff right because the Keynesian theory that the government spends money when the economy is slow to speed it up, but then saves money when the economy is good to slow it down. Well, of course, everybody loves to spend money. Politicians don't want to save money because the population has been inoculated against truth, reason, and reality, and math, facts, economics, and so on. And politicians can't tell, they can't tell the truth to the population. We live with a fundamentally anti-rational and superstitious population in the West. And that's really unfortunately just come out of government schools over the past couple of decades. But um, people can't handle the truth. You can't handle, like you can't handle the truth. Politicians say, yeah, we don't, we don't have any money. Like, sorry, but, and, and you guys should have had some savings because then people say, well, they look back and they say, maybe I shouldn't have taken all those vacations. Maybe I shouldn't have had all those lattes. Maybe I shouldn't have had all those meals out. Maybe I shouldn't have bought all those shoes or maybe I shouldn't have rented that helicopter for the weekend in Manhattan or whatever it is that they blew their money on. When, you know, I was always taught, it was an article of economic religious faith when I was growing up. Got to have six months in the bank. Got to have six months in the bank. Got to have six months in the bank. And because I'm kind of a saver, you know, you you got to follow that rule. I mean, all the people I know who, hey, my paycheck went up. 
Hey, I got a raise. Hey, I got a better job. I'm going to spend more money. I'm like, no, 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 don't, <laughs> don't do that. An increase in income is a good chance to save money. Don't just go spend it. I mean, that's crazy because there's going to come a time you're going to need your savings. It always happens. Oh, I mean, you couldn't necessarily expect, oh, well, you know, this virus is going to come out of China and, and they, but you're going to need your savings. And because government has crushed interest rates so low, it really hasn't been very profitable for people to save money because inflation is taking away more than bank interest rates are payment, paying. But nonetheless, you know, when you've got, you know, more than half of Americans living paycheck to paycheck and they couldn't handle a $500 expense, and then the economy gets shut down for a couple of months and restaurants, what, 80% of the restaurants that, 60 or 80%, I think it was 60% of the restaurants that are currently closed, according to a Yelp article, it's not going to reopen. And restaurants are kind of done, right? A lot of them. And a lot of small businesses are getting hammered and big businesses are profiting. You've got to have your savings, right? Now people are regretting all the money they spent on stuff. Like, hey, I'm never going to need any savings. Of course you are. Of course you're going to need savings. I don't know how people go through their day hanging over this fiscal abyss and like one wrong move and they just fall into debtor's prison, so to speak. I mean, that's a horrible way to live. It's a horrible way to live. So, you know, we're just learning all the old lessons. We're just learning all the old lessons. Sleeping around is bad. And now you can't really do it unless you're really willing to roll the dice, right? Sleeping around is bad. Monogamy is good. Saving money is good. Um, and diversifying your holdings is good. And um, nah, let's not go into let's not go into the whole list. Let's not go into the whole list. But let's get back to you, my friends. While we wait, what time have we got here? Yeah, yeah. Well, Paul will be along, shorty, shorty, shortly. Let's uh, switch to my fifty plus glasses. Dun, dun, dun. Can you imagine how getting kicked off? Platforms is so good for your eyesight. All right, let's see here. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. How much is six months worth of lattes? Well, I think that really depends on your addiction, right? Uh, let's see here. Can the dollar survive? Oh, no, of course not. My wife really enjoyed your Skyrim stream. Socializing is so nice nowadays. I'm glad you liked it. Hey, if you want, I can I can stream it here. I can stream it here. Or I could just, because I, I just recorded it. Um, and all of that and posted it later. I'm trying to remember that phrase you used a few times, the best disinfectant too? Well, they say sunlight is the best disinfectant. That's not my line, but uh, probably that's it, right? But Twitter blocked BitChute links the other day. Any thoughts on that? Well, you know, they don't want to... Um, so... I mean, my this is my sort of particular theory about social media companies. Just it's just my theory. I don't have any proof, but my theory is so because I think that social media companies have a bias, and I'm not saying the executives, but you know, just throughout the culture and all of that. And James O'Keefe from Project Veritas has a lot of videos on this kind of stuff. So the social media companies they want to have the power to influence things, and they don't want to be broken up. They don't want to lose their Section 230 immunity by being considered publishers rather than platforms, because right now, as you know, I'm sure social media companies are immune from liability for the content of what is posted. Like you can't sue, let's say somebody posts something illegal or slanderous, uh, libelous on a social media company, you can't sue the social media company. 
any more than you can sue the road company if somebody drives on the road to get away in a bank robbery. And, oh, you know, somebody phones in a bomb threat, you can't sue the phone company because they're neutral, right? They're just, hey, man, you know, just whatever you do and do it. But, you know, as long as it's, you know, like, as long as you're, it's not illegal. So social media companies want to continue to have the power to influence things. They want to continue to skirt the publisher platform divide. And because the general perception is, which I think is not inaccurate, that they're somewhat biased against conservatives, they know that if the Democrats or the left gets in power, nobody's going to bother them. Nobody's going to interfere with that, right? So their big concern is Donald Trump gets in power and Donald Trump says, hey, you know, we're either going to break you up antitrust style or, or, and, or we're, you know, because your publisher is not platforms, you, you're no longer immune for liability for content, which destroys their entire business model, right? So to me, it would be perfectly natural that the social media companies would go all in for Biden because if Biden gets in, then they're not going to face negative repercussions because they're prejudiced, in my view, against Biden's enemies. So Biden's not going <laughs> to not going to hassle them for suppressing conservatives. Right? I mean, it makes perfect sense if that's what they're doing. So, um, yeah, it's it's just it's that's real politic. Right. I mean, this is you know, we, we live in this world, as you know. I mean, to me, unless somebody is explicitly religious and, you know, the religion I'm most familiar with, of course, is Christianity. It's where I was raised. But to me, unless somebody is explicitly religious, I generally assume that they're amoral. Because my approach to solving the problem of secular ethics, universally preferable behavior, which you should get on my website under books, it's free, it's a great book, but it hasn't taken, right? I mean, I originally thought that uh, the atheists and the agnostics would take to UPB like a fish to water, like, or I guess to a guy being offered a drink while he's dying of thirst in the desert. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. But they, they, they didn't like it. <laughs> they didn't like it. They opposed it, were indifferent to it, were crazy hostile towards it. And it took a long time for me to sort of figure that out. That, um, but, but generally, if somebody's not explicitly religious, for the most part, I generally assume that they are, you know, will to power Nietzschean universe where the only ethics they claim are used to manipulate people who are virtuous and they themselves generally or not. So yeah, that's the, yeah, that's the reality of the world that is, that if people are not explicitly Christian, at least in terms of the religion that I'm most uh, familiar with, I simply assume that they are uh, amoral and uh, manipulative and all of that. And again, there's some exceptions, of course, right? But that's in general the way. Hey, Steph, you're awesome, brother. Keep it up. Keep it up. Thank you very much. I realized that. I worked, I appreciate that. I worked my whole life on my family ranch. Boy, that must be some fantastic dressing. Boom! That's what I call a big city kind of joke. All right. What are your plans for the future? Uh, I'm going to keep reading my audiobook novels. I am going to continue to do shows. Um, I'm not going to delve into politics really at all. Um, No particular um, thrill in that uh, all that. Did I take the picture uh, behind me? Uh, I did not take the picture behind me, but I took it from the gallery. All right. I've been using your take on George Floyd as a way of reasoning to argue against bad takes. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, the idea that policemen would commit a murder right in front of a dangerous crowd while wearing body cams, while being filmed, is absurd. I mean, it's beyond absurd. It's, that's like, it's an IQ test. I don't even know what to say about that. And I said that from the very beginning. I said from the very beginning that I bet you he told them he had COVID. 
And that's why they were particularly cautious and careful of him, right? Because he's he's spitting, he's yelling, he's screaming, he's, you know, I ain't that kind of guy. I'm not that kind of, I'm not a bad guy. He's yelling in their faces and he tells them he's got COVID. He lies about, he says, oh, my mother just died and not. His mother died two years previously, and maybe Derek Chauvin knew that because apparently they knew each other working in this club security and so on. But the police officers and and one of one of um, because there were the two other black a black man and a black woman in the car with George Floyd, and the woman says, you know, he's you know he's out of his mind. He's he's kind of so they didn't know what the heck he was doing. Like they didn't know was he high. He said he wasn't. Um, you can see him dumping what looks to me like uh, a drug. Uh, from his pocket when he's up against the wall. But the police officers in that case, they're pretty, uh, you know, very accommodating. Hey, man, you know, we'll roll down the windows. You know, we'll drive with the air conditioning on. You got to get into the car. And he keeps, you know, he tells them he can't breathe. He tells them he's going to die in there. He tells them his mother, mama died when she didn't. He tells them all this. And they know, I assume they know that they ran his plates and they know that he's a violent, a violent history, violent felon. Nonetheless, your heart breaks, you know, at least my heart breaks watching the video because, you know, poor guy's going to go into the car and he knows when he gets into that car, he's going to jail. He's going to get booked. Uh, you know, he's, he's crazy high on drugs. So he was driving impaired. He's passed. Uh, I've heard stories that, that he, he tried to pass the dollar bill and then came back to the $20 bill and it was wet. Uh, and he came back and then they said, hey, just give us the cigarettes back and you can leave. And he didn't. And, you know, he gets in there and they're going to say, okay, where did you get the, the counterfeit dollar from? Where did you get the counterfeit $20 bill from? Right. And uh, he's going to have to probably fess up as to where he got that money from. And that's probably going to put him afoul of organized crime who have lots of tentacles to reach into the prison and snuff out his little life as, as, as they see fit. So, you know, he does not want to get into that car and it's kind of heartbreaking. You know, it really is heartbreaking to see that it's like the William H. Macy character in Fargo when they finally pull him off the bed at the end. You know, no, no, no. It's just, it's heartbreaking. Uh, and there's really nothing you can do because this is just the choices that he's made and the life that he's ended up with. And it's really, really a horrible, awful, terrible, ugly situation. And I really don't know how cops do it. I mean, I really, really don't know how they do it. So yeah, it's, uh, it's really, it's really tragic. And um, it's really tragic too that people didn't push back against it more. All right, what do we got here? Uh, let me just see here what we got going on. Uh, I think I'll stop and start again if you guys don't uh, don't mind too much. Um, just because, you know, it's not... Um, uh, Paul should be showing up in a bit, but I don't want to... Uh, you know, he's, he's not sort of aware of all of this stuff I'm talking about, so I don't want him to get associated with that. That's not his, his gig. Living debt-free is great. Well, that is true. That is true. How about a garden? Yeah, garden is a pretty good idea. Pretty good idea. Let's see here. What else have we got going on? Uh, what else? What else? I bought two copies of UPB. Other atheists are two, only objective to a point. Yeah, yeah, he was on fentanyl, that's right. He was on fentanyl for sure. Well, you know, here's the thing too, which is um I I didn't start with politics. Uh, I didn't do politics for the first couple of years of this show and then uh, I did uh, start to do politics and it grew and I was apolitical with regards to I was against voting and all that kind of stuff uh, until 2015 when Trump came along and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I'm I guess I'm returning to I'm going back to my blues roots so to speak, right? 
All right. So uh, hang tight, my friends. I'm going to um, I'm going to stop this one here. But, but honestly, I'll be back in just a sec, uh, and uh, we will uh, we will start up again. Just hang tight. I promise we'll start right up again. But let me just stop here, and uh, we will uh, we will get back into it. And uh, I will uh, um, I will throw this in. So hang on. We'll start up again in just a sec. 